Hello, everybody. This week is Parashas Baha'u'llah, and we're going to continue talking about the halachas of toys on Shabbos. And I imagine we'll continue next week as well. One moment. Okay, so last week we discussed Lego, and we said that children under 12 can play with it, but adults should refrain. Um, Likewise, any puzzle that connects tightly together is allowed for children, Um, but not for adults, because it makes a picture and it makes a form. Typically, large puzzles don't really connect that well and are technically permitted for adults as well, like the big, you know, for little children. If possible, one should refrain from that as well, because there is some question of drawing and creating and writing by forming words and pictures. This question has some similarity to the Shiloh about opening a book that has writing on the side. Uh, You know, before COVID, there existed something known as a library book. And library books were uh, print, they have the library name printed on the side. And whenever you open the book, so it effectively is erasing those words. And when you close the book, you're rewriting those words. Now, the Mishnah Brewer permits that. He allows the opening and closing of such books, even though he suggests that you try to find one without the writing. Now, the Mishnah Brewer, of course, is talking about Sfarm, not talking about a book, a novel. No, no chance of that. And in the Sefer, he's saying if you can find another Sefer, you know, so use it. Um... But he gives two reasons for the heter, why you're allowed to open and close such a book. One applies to puzzles and one doesn't. One, the one heter he gives is that it's a somewhat of a complicated svara. It's based on a Gemara and Shabbos that says that war, words which have been formed and then separated uh, aren't considered writing if you reassemble them. Basically, that seems to come out from a Gemara and Shabbos according to this opinion. Now that would apply to puzzles, right? Because they've been formed already and now they've been taken apart. You can reassemble them. The other svara he gives, though, is that a book is like a door. And the same way you're allowed to open and close a door on Shabbos, you can assemble and reassemble a, 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 I'm sorry, you can open and close a book on Shabbos. The same way opening and closing a door is not called binyan and seiser, right? You're not building and you're not breaking something by opening and closing a door of a house on Shabbos. So like, likewise, uh, with a book as well, it's not called writing and erasing when you open and close the book and the writing on the side disappears or reappears. Now that wouldn't be transferable to a puzzle because a book is bound. So it really is similar to a book, uh, to a door. Whereas a puzzle is not, once you disassemble it, it's totally disassembled. That would be like totally disassembling a house and reassembling it, which is certainly would not be allowed. So it's not so clear whether uh, it is allowed or not, and therefore it should, it is, essentially it's permitted, I will say, Ekaradin is permitted, again, a large puzzle, which is not t- tightly connected, but uh, it's better to avoid it if it doesn't cause too much strife. Now, as far as food with letters or words on them, so it depends. Now, the worst case, halakhically, is when you have a birthday cake that the cake itself was written on with frosting, you know, like when they pipe uh, happy birthday on the top of the cake surface. Most from bakeries won't do that. They'll take a piece of chocolate and they'll pipe it onto the piece of chocolate. So you could just remove the chocolate and there won't be any problem cutting the cake. 
But if they have piped it directly onto the cake, so you have a problem. And there are a few options. So one thing is, obviously, you can slice the cake into pieces before Shabbos, but you don't have to actually separate the pieces. You can just slice it, and that's enough, and then you can separate it on Shabbos. Another option is you can slice off the, the writing. Uh, you can either slice it off with a piece of cake, or you can slice it off. If, you ta- if you're talented enough, you can slice it off just with the frosting and get it off in that way. Um, another thing you can also do is you can cut in between the letters because, again, based on that Gemara and Shabbos, the problem is breaking up letters, but it's not a problem breaking up words. Words can be broken up on Shabbos. You can't break up letters in this, this particular case. So you'd be able to cut between the letters if that's possible. And even if it's written in script, if you're cutting at the point where it's meant to be cut, like where you would write each individual word and letter in script, so you can cut as well. So that would be a few options, but barring those options, you have a problem when it comes to a cake that has writing on it. Now, if it's a cookie with writing on it, and you don't have to cut it, you can just bite it, right? Uh, presumably, most people don't do that with a cake, right? But with a cookie, you could just bite it, or a cupcake, you could just bite it. So that's better, just because the combination of a couple of swaras with the psikresha and a davar and muskav not important, but once you don't have to actually cut it with a knife or with break it by hand, you can just bite into it, then that's allowed. So a cookie with writing on it or with a picture on it, like those chas and kala cookies that say mazel tov on them, or they have the pictures on them. So you're allowed to bite into that and you can eat those. That's allowed. Likewise, a cookie that has something, now that's actually even more cooler dig, is a cookie that has something imprinted into it, engraved, like, uh, you know, the tea biscuits that have something engraved into it. Then it's not even considered writing at all. And you're actually allowed to break that in half and you're allowed to cut it. Um, likewise, you know, they have cookies and, and, and candies which are formed into a shape, so that's not a problem. And, uh, you know, there are candies like uh, M&Ms that have writing on the candy or uh, Jolly Bellies have, says every single jelly bean has Jelly Belly written on it, so that's allowed because, again, that's like it's engraved in the candy. It doesn't have really the status of writing at all, and you can eat that. Anyway, you're just biting it, you, you know. So we eat both, for both reasons, it would be allowed. Now, that's all about eating, which is kind of erasing, moichek. You're not allowed to actually create that on Shabbos. So you can't take food and create a word on Shabbos. You can't take food and create a letter on Shabbos. That's certainly prohibited. I remember being asked, there was someone that had this minig, this custom, that on Chalamite Pesach, uh, on Shabbos Chalamite Pesach, they would take their chopped liver and form it into a pyramid. So that's, that's an issue. You can't make such a defined form, such a defined structure on Shabbos. It would be the Isser of Kaisev or Baina. Now, toys that involve writing are just about all prohibited. So an Etch-A-Sketch most certainly can't be used to create uh, words or images of even basic shapes. Now, there are other kinds of toys, though, which I'm not so sure about. Like, for example, I forgot what it's called, but there is this toy that had a lot of this black magnetic dust, and it had a face... And then you move it around with a magnet, the, the, the metallic dust, to form like a beard or a mustache or hair. Uh, and so and I'm not sure if that's really a problem because really that, the, 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 the dust is just being pushed into a, into a position and it absolutely has no holding power. This uh, Sefer um, 39 Malachas, that book, he prohibits it and he compares this to someone writing a letter in dust on, the, on a road. Not 100% sure that that's a comparison or not, 
Uh, I have to do some more research, but he, he does prohibit that. So he prohibits all these kinds of toys that involve any form of writing or forming a hair or a face. You know, also you have the kind of toy that has a bunch of pins and you can push it onto your face and it has the form of a face. So you put your hand in it. He prohibits those as well. Now, word games like bananagrams are allowed because, again, the letters are all formed and you're just forming words. That's okay. And Scrabble is the same thing. But when the words adhere to something, like if let's say a Scrabble Deluxe or a travel edition where they click in, so then it's attached to something, then you're forming a word on a surface, that's not okay. So bananagrams on a table is fine. The words are loose, the letters are loose, I'm sorry. Um, Scrabble on a, on a table or on a board is fine, but once you click it in, it's an issue. And likewise, if you wanna use magnetic letters on a fridge and write something, it would be a problem. And I remember being told by someone that, oh, they left a message for their mother uh, on the fridge that they went to a friend. They took magnetic letters. They wrote, I went to a friend. So that's not allowed. But leave it to the Jewish minds at work. And I was looking and I saw there's a product online you can buy. It's called Shabbos Magnet uh, Message Board. And it comes with a bunch of words that are typical words you might want to use on Shabbos. So there's an Abba Magnet, an Ima Magnet, a Went To Magnet, Shul, uh, friends, and a whole bunch of different combinations of phrases that you most likely will want to let uh, someone else know. And then you know, this way they take care of this problem. So that's another way that Kaisev comes up on Shabbos with toys and with other items. And that's how you need to avoid it and uh, and, and avoid this issue of Kaisev and, and Meichik on Shabbos. Moving on to Parshas Baha Loishchav. And Parashas Baalaischa this, uh, this year, as soon as we pass Parashas Baalaischa, is very momentous because Baruch Hashem, we are poised to re-enter our shuls once again. Baruch Hashem, we are finally going to re-enter re our shul. And that's very exciting. You know, so many aspects of our lives, which we took for granted, were pulled out from under our, our feet without notice. Uh, our home lives, right? No school. People have to work from home. Some people lost work, unfortunately. There are no play dates, no socializing, no visiting grandparents or relatives, no more attending simchis, kiddushim, no more participating in people's sad events, And we tried as best as we could to keep together and keep contact and look out for each other. And Baruch Hashem, Kiddush Hashem was created in our community. Amazing acts of chesed and kindness were done. And may that schus protect us. But Baruch Hashem, we're finally entering a new phase in this saga. We can finally come back and have them with a minion in shul. You know, it was so sad to go by the shul and see the lights off, all dark and uninhabited, a place that had been so vibrant. And finally, we can have some of the most precious mitzvahs that we have, that Klai Yisrael has back again. Feel B'tzibur, Kaddish, Kedusha, Amen, Yeshmer, It's a small start, limited minion size as permitted. But we'll be able to say Amen Yeshmir We'll be able to say Kedusha and something that Chazal tell us that the whole Pamal Yishamayla, the whole heavenly host, waits for us to say. And I don't know, they must have been waiting for three months now <laughs> to say Kaddish, Kaddish, Kaddish. We're not, Chal Yisrael is not saying it together. So I think when we walk into our shuls again, Bez Hashem, when we get to do that, it will be with a different feel than we had previously. For one thing, we'll have a feeling of excitement and awe. 
to be back in the place which is our spiritual home. It's a mini Eretz Yisrael, according to the Maharsha. That's why our all the Batek Nesias, all the shuls are going to fly to Eretz Yisrael. Mashiach comes because it's a little piece of Eretz Yisrael that we have over here in Chutz Laaretz. There's a story I told when we made our groundbreaking, which was also Parshas Baha many years ago. And it was about a woman who lived in Rochester, and she shared a backyard fence and a driveway with a non-Jewish woman named Pamela. There were, Pamela and her husband were photographers, and they were looking all over the country for the best place to live. But this family, this Jewish family, they had made their choice of where to live based on a shul. They had a, found the shul. They made a compass circle of one mile around the shul with basic walking distance, and they knew that's where they were going to have to buy their house. And they were once talking and saying, you know, comparing their buying strategies of a, strategies of a house where you know, the, the from woman was so circumscribed one square mile in a circle defined by a tiny pencil and Pamela and her husband, they had the whole USA to choose from. And she had, this non-Jewish lady had a remarkable reply. She said, you know, sure, it's true. I have more choices, but you have a center to your life. You have your synagogue. So that's where you, the, you put the point of your compass. It gives you a fixed point. And without that, your life will be pointless. <laughs> and it's, uh, it's so true. You know, the, we walk, we, it gives us so much meaning, our shul, and we felt that we were missing that in all these days. And to be able to come back to the place that gives us so much meaning and purpose where our Sifre Tayyar and Sifre Kodesh are housed is a momentous and special time. But I also think that we're going to walk into shul with more humility a little more humility than we had in the past. Perhaps in the past, we felt like we owned the place. And that doesn't only go for shul, it goes for a lot of what happens in our lives. But, you know, we felt that this is my shul, my place, my seat, and we're in control. And here we are, with absolutely no control at all, whether to go to shul or not, whether to leave our homes or not, whether to go to wherever we want or not. We were locked out by Hashem, and now we're being let back in by Hashem. This hachna, this humility, I think is imperative for our return and should flavor our approach to davening in shul together with the excitement and awe. Parsha Ba'aloyscha is unique, very unique parsha. It has a lot of different stories, a lot of things going on in this parsha, and it's all coupled together in one long story, one long parsha. It talks about Pesach Sheni and the Jews who just wouldn't accept that they can't do a carbon Pesach. And they said, Lamanigar, why should we be worse than everyone else? We have to be able to do a carbon Pesach too. It talks about how Kali Yisrael left Harsina after a year. It talks about how Kali Yisrael complained about the month. The end of the parasha talks about Moshe Rabbeinu, how Aaron and Miriam said, talked about him and Hashem rebuked them. But in the middle of the parasha, there are two halachas. And there may be descriptions of practices of the Jews. And they're adjacent to each other. And they're fascinating, and they, they give us a, a lot of insight about our situation here. The first, first is a lengthy description of how Klal Yisrael camped and broke camp in the Midbar. Almost 10 psukim are dedicated to describing what seems a very straightforward process. Basically, there was an Ananiya Kavid that served as the guiding light that represented the presence of Hashem. If it rested, they made camp. If it raised up, poised to go, they broke camp. Very straightforward. It, it called the shots. They went when it went, and they left when they left. The Pasuk says, Api Hashem Yisau, according to Hashem's command, they would go. 
Yisub Bnei Yisrael, and according to Hashem's command, they would rest. As long as the cloud rested on the Mishkan, they would rest. The Pasi then describes one Pasi after another, saying sometimes it was just a day. Sometimes they would start, they would rest in the morning, and that night already they would have to leave. Sometimes it was a day and a night. Sometimes it was a, a few days. Sometimes it was a month. Sometimes it was a year. Everything, they didn't move unless Hashem commanded them to, to move. The Pasik summarizes this by saying, Api Hashem Yachnu, Api Hashem Yiso, they rested and traveled by Hashem's word, Es Mishmeres Hashem Shemaru. They watched what Hashem said, and they didn't move an iota without Hashem telling them to do. I heard of Biederman Shlita, Quoting a wonderful insight from Shamshin Fall Hirsch, I looked up in his Chumash. Beautiful, beautiful thing. It's good to see it inside yourself. Shamshin Fall Hirsch. He writes that we have to understand, and Ramban clarifies, that when the Jews camped or broke camp, it was a big ordeal. They had to assemble the Mishkan or disassemble the Mishkan. That wasn't an easy task. It was hard. And then they had to create three halachic Machanois, Shalosh Machanois. There was the Machna Kedusha, where the Mishkan was, surrounding it, the Machna Levia, and then everybody else. And everybody else had to set up their tents. And their tents was an intricate puzzle how they set up their tents. They couldn't have one door facing another door. And there are lots of Jews. So it was a whole process. And who knows how long this took? And they set camp in the morning. They did all this. They had absolutely no idea how long they were going to be there for. And then that night, the honor goes up. They have to disassemble everything. And at the same, by the same token, sometimes they were there in a place for a month, two months. They were getting comfortable. They were getting used to their surroundings. They knew where everything was. And then on a moment's notice, the Anand picks up and they have to go. They had absolutely no idea, no hint when they were going to go, when they were going to stay. They followed Hashem's word. He says, this was a yeshiva. It was a school that taught us something. The school of wandering, and I want to quote his words because it's just beautiful the way he writes it. It says, it taught us to follow Hashem devoutly and trustfully, to have complete confidence in Him. However little His guidance may seem comprehensible to us, though He tells us now to leave the place, which we only just made ourselves comfortable, and then stay patiently in the most cheerless of conditions, still always do as He directs. Always to feel cheerful under the crook, of Hashem's guidance, like a, a shepherd, and always be ready to defer to the plan of our life to Hashem and to follow His guidance on the most incomprehensible paths with enduring patience and never failing courage. But then he goes to point out another thing, which is so, re- is so relevant for us. He says, if you look carefully at the psukim, what the Torah is praising Klai Yisrael, the Torah is praising Klai Yisrael that they rested. They were dying to get into Eretz Yisrael already. The, the, the shlach hadn't happened yet. The miraglam hadn't happened yet. There was no 40 years they were waiting for. They were on their way to Eretz Yisrael, and they knew that was the place. That was where they're going to finally reach their tachlis, their spiritual purpose. They're going to be able to rest, set up their houses, live, and, 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 and serve Hashem. And they were dying to get there. When Hashem told them to stop, every time He told them to stop, it was very difficult to listen. As Mishmeres Hashem Shemaru, nevertheless, they listened and they just did and went Alpi Hashem Yachnu Alpi Hashem Yisol. And this is a, a, a tremendous lesson in humility and servitude of Hashem. And just think about how relevant this is for us. Just think about how much we want. 
we wanted to go to shul. We didn't want to close the shul. When we closed the shul, when we opened the shul, it was so much, oh, people want to open now and open earlier and open later, and there was pressure. And was it up to us? It was so not up to us. Hashem closed the shul, and Hashem opened the shul. And this lesson of humility has been brought home in every aspect of our lives. Rabbi says that he, he met someone who he knew was making chasana. And he asked him, when are you making chasana? So the person says, Amir Hashem on Wednesday. And then the guy turns to him and smiles and says, you know, these days, when you say Amir Hashem, you really mean it. <laughs> it really means something. Amir Hashem, you know, it's, it's not going to happen unless Hashem allows it to happen. And that's the lesson of humility we've been taught. So we walk into our shuls now for the first time. We're going to experience joy and awe and such excitement to be able to go into the shul. And we should. And simultaneously, it should be flavored by this humility that we're now understanding we don't own the place. This is Hashem's house. Hashem's presence rests here. And he, we come in when He wants us here. And when He doesn't, then we're not here. And understanding that it's Hashem's residence should give us more of an idea of how we're supposed to treat a shul. And perhaps we need to, as a tzibur, come together and, and make a decision on how we're going to treat a shul. And we can all think about that together. But I think as individuals also, I think everybody knows what their nisayin is. For some people, it's talking in shul. For other people, it's a cell phone. For other people, it's giving cover to Bismedrish and keeping it clean. And everybody has their own assign. What, 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 where they can give more cover to a Bismedrish, and I think everybody has to think upon them, in them, to themselves and for themselves, how they can show that this is Hashem's house and it needs to be treated as such. These two emotions are something that Klal Yisrael has to always keep in themselves. Humility with excitement. And a gaiva de kedusha, the being proud to be able to be in a shul. And that is represented by what happens immediately afterwards in the parsha. It talks about the chatzitzres, two trumpets that Moshe Rabbeinu was commanded to make and use to tell Yisrael when they're going to travel. And he used those trumpets to gather everybody, to give them a shir, to teach them Torah. And he used those trumpets, they used them in history when they were going to war. But on the other hand, we know we use a shoifer. We use a shoifer on Rosh Hashanah. You blow a shoifer, not a trumpet, on a tainus. When there's a tainus tzibur, you have to blow a shoifer. Sometimes a shoifer, sometimes a trumpet. And the Shem Yishmol says that these are the two emotions that we always have to keep within ourselves. The shoifer is humility. It breaks our heart. It's a sound that instills fear and awe. And that's something that a Jew has to live with always. He has to work on that humility and making his heart open to your Shemaim. And at the same time, we also have to have that trumpet. We have to have that trumpet that gives us that chashivus, that calls forth with strength. When we enter such a time, when we have such a momentous occasion, we're going into a shul, a shul after so long that we haven't gone in, we have to go in with both these emotions and utilize both of them to decide how we're going to treat the shul from now on. We have to go in with an awe and an, and an excitement and a gaiva de kedusha with the chatzitzras blowing. We have to trumpet our way into shul. And at the same time, we have to walk in with humility and realize that our Hashem Yachnu, our Hashem Yisrael, we don't own the place. It's not ours. It's Baruch Hu's residence. It's his domicile and he let us in, lets us in when he wants. 
And we have to treat it as such. And we have to treat it with that humility and that, that anava, that hachna, and then bring it out of the shul into the rest of our lives as well. To understand, to, as Rabbi Hirsch says, to hand over our traveling in life, our plan of life to Hashem, and accept His plan and His guidance, however incomprehensible it might be. Accept His mahalach with patience and with cheerfulness. And that's an assignment we've all been going through. Keeping that simcha up, keeping that excitement up, and having the patience to follow Hashem's plan. May HaKadosh Baruch Hu give us the si'at HaDishmaya we need to have that bitachin and have that simcha to continue following Hashem's plan and to follow HaKadosh Baruch Hu with bitachin and be able to come back to shul, daven with minyan and mirza Hashem, we should be able to open up the shul fully. Everybody should be able to come. Everybody should be able to daven together. We should be able to say good Shabbos to each other in person, maybe even shake hands one, th- one day in the future, maybe even hug each other one day in the future. And as Hashem, we should all be zeichet to be united by and the simcha and have a wonderful Shabbos and a good night.